Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Scott Powell. Thanks so much for listening to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. Uh, Unfortunately, Father Peter and I are not available this week, so we have a classic episode. And so it's the exact same readings that you're going to hear at Mass this Sunday, just our take on it from a couple years ago. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back live next week, and we will see you then. Thanks. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello. Oh, oh, welcome to the podcast. You know, that's like the most generic introduction. Welcome to the podcast. As if there's not a thousand hundred million podcasts that exist in the world. I mean, you said it. It's, it's <laughs> don't, the, hear, don't insult me. It's <laughs> <laughs> your opening. Hey, you're listening to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Musson. I am Dr. Scott Powell. And we are super excited to have you back for another week. You yeah. know what this is? It is the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. King of the Universe. Bum, bum, bum. Like, there's something so totally epic about that. Like, dude, if you're king, I mean, Marvel tries to get to there, but they can't. I mean, like, really, there is no king of the universe. They're all scrapping for it. All right. (laughs) Our first reading for the solemnity of the Lord Jesus Christ, king of the universe, is coming from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. And we're looking at verses 11 and 12, and then 15 through 17. Uh, Yeah, Zeke, dude. I love Zeke, man. I know you do. Psalm 23 is our responsorial psalm. That it is. Um, and if you ask anybody, hey, what's your favorite psalm? This is the one. They know They know one of two psalms. They know Psalm What's 20. the other one? Psalm 51. What's that one? Lord, have mercy in your kindness and your compassion blot out my offense. You think that's the other one that people know? I don't know, actually. <laughs> You're talking priest talk. Dude. As a priest, you know it. Do you, do you have a favorite, favorite psalm? Of Psalm 23. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Okay, Psalm 23, 1 to 2. No, it's actually Psalm 69, but there's a long story behind why that is. And mine is Psalm 18. Oh, Psalm 18. Very the good. Heavens are telling the glory of God. <laughs> no, that's and all the... creation is shouting for joy. Okay, Psalm, okay. Just stop distracting me. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 23, 1 to 2, 2 to 3, 5 to 6, response from 1. From 1. Uh, our second reading is from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verses 20 through 26, and then slipping in verse 28, just for good measure. So that God may be all in all, yo. Okay, and then... then oh, <laughs> what translation is that? Dude, that's the... Dude, the island translation still is my very favorite. Yeah. That's I, a, have, you, have you ever tried to... I, yes, you've showed me it. I, have I, I've probably spoken to it on the podcast. I can't imagine I that I haven't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't, you should. Okay. So then our gospel is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Matthew Sheep and the goats, baby. Yep. And Sorry, you were about to hungry repeat. and naked and tired. No, well, the sheep and the goats aren't. Yeah, they are. Other people are. I mean, okay. So <laughs> welcome to the podcast. My Here name is are. Father Peter Mussett. I am Scott Bell. <laughs> <laughs> and this All is right. the end of the liturgical year. All right. You guys, Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, 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 what do we say about Ezekiel? Ezekiel, uh, it's one of those prophets that prophets, prophets that's writing um, during and about the exile when the Babylonian nation came in, overtook Jerusalem, overtook the people of God, took them off into slavery. And Ezekiel is 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 interesting because he's writing from the perspective of the exiles, right? So he's actually seeing all of the things that are happening in Jerusalem as they're being attacked by the Babylonians. This is in the 500s. But he's seeing it from the perspective of God himself. God, he, he's in Babylon, but he's seeing the spiritual perspective on this stuff. And what Ezekiel is getting, not just the events that are taking place, but he's getting a lot of the why. Why is this happening? And um, 
the the passage that we have is great, but if you'll if you'll indulge me, Father Peter, I want to read a little bit of the context. Okay, contextualize me up in here, dude. Because I think it's it's interesting. So the chapter thirty four, um, the reading that we'll get at Mass is the Lord saying, "I'm basically gonna gonna be the shepherd of my people. I will come and tend to my sheep, as a shepherd tends his flock." So this is where you know we get the image of God as shepherd, and of course Jesus comes then in the gospel and declares himself the good shepherd. We get a lot of the imagery from here. But you got to go back and ask yourself the question, okay, why does God need to be shepherd? God is God, right? Why does he have to take on that other role? And it's because of what it says in the beginning of chapter 34. You ready for this? Ready. Okay, this is intense. So you ready for this? You, you feeling, Dude, you feeling I, prepared? Dude, I've been in a yurt for a long time. I'm ready to go into a tent. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, this is Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The prophets never have a pleasant job. So he's saying, hey, I want you to go prophesy. God is saying to Ezekiel, go and yell at the shepherds. Now, who are the shepherds of the people of Israel at this time? Uh, this is the question. I mean, maybe the... This is way prior to Jesus. This is an e- it's yeah, easier yeah. than you're giving yourself credit for. Um, then I would say the it's, high priesthood. Yeah, the priests. Yep. They're, they're, by and large. The, well, actually, that's not entirely. Yeah, the priests for sure. Who else? So the, the priests were the spiritual leaders, but they also have the the sort of secular leaders. So the kings, the priests, the the power structure of Israel, right? They're they're the king was supposed to be a shepherd in a certain sense, right? You remember, aside from just the priests, and this is the thing about Israel and sort of what got them into trouble, the king of Israel was not supposed to simply be a temporal leader. And and I, I mean, this is this is a very modern idea. The whole concept of the separation of church and state is a modern concept. In the ancient world, you can't separate the the spiritual life of a nation from their political life, right? Most kings were considered demigods, basically. I mean, Pharaoh was worshipped as a deity, so was Caesar. Now, it's different in Israel. They are not to worship the king, but the king is supposed to sort of be a representative of God. He's supposed to be a an visible sign, an embodiment on earth. So, again, this is a long way around. These are the shepherds. And so, Ezekiel is being told, hey, go speak against the shepherds, which again, what is he being told? Go speak against the priests, the high priests, the kings, the governors, the rulers. Go before all the most powerful people in your world and tell them they stink. Good luck, by the way. So, I mean, the prophets never have it easy. Nope. But say this to them. What is the sovereign? This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. This is where Israel went to her downfall, right? Should not the shepherds take care of their flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. Mm. So here you are, you're shepherding this flock. You have sheep, imagine a shepherd that does nothing but just take the wool from the sheep, all the food that they provide, slaughter the ones that he feels are the nicest, and just lets the others wander off. He's not a very good shepherd, right? No. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Remember Jesus' parable in Luke 15, the parable of lost sheep. This is very explicit. They have not done that. They haven't gone after the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so, as a result, if you have a shepherd who stinks, what's the logical result? Get a new shepherd. No, but what what what's the consequence? I mean, what happens? Oh, the sheep are scattered. The sheep are scattered, right? If, what's a shepherd do? You're supposed to keep the sheep together. And that's what he says. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. Now, the, the analogy is becoming pretty real, I think, for Ezekiel. What is this analogously talking about? The sheep got scattered and eaten by the wild animals. Is it the, uh, like, Babylonians yeah. or the... 
or the uh, the Archimedes, or I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> well, the, the, the nations. foreign nations. Yeah. So I mean, they, what I mean, where is Ezekiel? Where is Israel when Ezekiel is writing this? They're actually being hauled off in exile. They're being taken captive, and basically eaten in a certain sense by these political enemies. These na- Do you remember in Daniel? Daniel has that vision of the animals coming out of the sea, and each of the animals represented a, a nation that will come out of the earth and basically brutalize the people of God. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, the shepherds didn't take care of you. And so foreign nations like animals have come in and picked you guys off and scattered you and eaten you. And I mean, they're feeling this pretty fresh in the sense of Babylon having just done that. But don't forget their, their brothers and sisters to the north a few years prior, the Assyrians did it to them. So they've been scattered. They've been eaten. The northern kingdom has been eaten by foreign animals in a certain sense. Foreign, foreign animals, wild animals, <laughs> foreign nations, whatever. So, I mean... It's easy to look at this and kind of abstractize. I don't know if that's a word. Abstract. Abstract this. But, I mean, if you're Ezekiel, you're like, holy cow, this is exactly what's happened to us. And now Ezekiel get this great benefit of being shown why. So their, their food that my sheep wandered over the mountains, every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. They got scattered. And even, you know, you have the Israelites going off into Babylon probably forgetting all about their brothers and sisters that were hauled off by the Assyrians years before. Scattered, gone. No one's looking for you. No one's searching for you because your shepherds only care about themselves. They don't care about you. So it's really, I think it really wants you to feel the weight of this. And so what God says, if you keep reading is, I am against the shepherds. The shepherds are my enemies. The very people who are supposed to, like you said, embody God toward the people are now the enemies of God himself. He says, they are my enemies. I'm turning myself against them. I will remove them from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves, eat the flock, basically. I will rescue the flock from their mouths and it won't, won't, will no longer be food for them. And that's where we pick it up this week. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to do it myself. I'm coming back. I'm going to be the shepherd because these shepherds failed. And as a result, all of my children, my flock, my people, my sheep have wandered off into the hills and are being slaughtered and eaten. And no good, loving, kind, just God can allow his children to be brutalized forever. Right. So he says, I'm going to do it myself. Yep. And, um, but not just that, but I'm also going to make enemies out of the old shepherds because they failed. And again, no good, loving, just God can let evil go unpunished indefinitely. I mean, you hear, people read the Old Testament, and they see God or hear God saying things like this, and you're like, well, I thought God was just a God of love and forgiveness and mercy. Well, yes, of course he is. But there's also a certain something to be said for justice. And if the shepherds are eating their flock, God can't just sit back and be like, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? No, you will have to be punished for that. And I'm going to step in them to do the job. So that's our that's our setup for the week. Um, well, I mean, which is which is it's Christ the King, I right? Mean, this is and and which is the wild part is how do you? I mean, the King becomes the shepherd. I mean, I'm going to send a shepherd, which is not unprecedented, because we have a shepherd who became a king, David. David, right? So the imagery should be fairly clear. But I, I noticed something, so I'm going to throw this out because the translation you're going to hear. No, keep in, it, please. Oh, come on. Ah, I'm going to give this to you. The translation you're going to hear in mass doesn't do justice to, I, I tried to, I didn't go back to the Hebrew because I just kind of noticed it at the last minute. So I'm going to propose something that I found grammatically interesting. Cool. And I'm going to read a different translation because the translation we get, it, it, it's not. Um, it's anemic. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. 
listen to this. So this is, again, this is our reading. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, I'm going to search for my sheep. I'm going to look for them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And I'm going to bring them out of the nations and gather them together. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. Wow, this, now, this harkens us back to last week. How or so? The week before, two weeks before. How so? We'll be caught up in the clouds. Uh, yeah, that's one way to read it. But but o- Overshadow so, you with the Holy Spirit? Well, gr- okay, grammatically, I think you can read that line. In English, you can grammatically read that line in two ways. I think what's meant, and I think the common translation or interpretation, I'm going to rescue them from the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. When they were scattered, when they were overtaken by the nations, it was a day of clouds and darkness. Or you could grammatically twist that around and read it another way. I will rescue them from the places that they were scattered on, on a, a day, day of, of cloud, cloud and darkness. darkness. I'm going to rescue them on a day of cloud and darkness. Oh, the, cru- the when cross. When does God rescue his people on the cross? And what happens when Jesus is crucified? The eclipse. clouds cover the land. There is an eclipse. There's darkness that covers the whole of the land. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this or not, but I was struck by the grammatical kind of ambiguity of that. Yeah, of course, when they were scattered, that was a dark day. But the day that they're going to be rescued, ironically enough, is going to be a dark day because the shepherd himself is going to suffer and die and there will be great darkness. But that suffering and death is what's going to defeat the suffering and death of the rest of the world. Mm. Anyway, just take that for whatever you will. I was kind of struck by it. But again, reflecting on Jesus Christ, King of the universe, well, what's the moment that he really ascends his throne? Well, when he's lifted on the cross. Mm. In utter humiliation, humility and and, uh, seeming degradation and being torn down, that is his moment of glory because he's actually taking not just himself, but he's taking all of death to the cross. And he's making, Paul says, I think it's in Galatians, he makes a parade out of death. He hangs it, yes, he's hanging on the cross, but he also hangs death itself on the cross as if to mock it and to say, yeah, look, it's got nothing. But it's a day of darkness that he's going to do that. Yes. Anyway, I was struck by that. So take it for what you will. Dude, well, that's where we go into the psalm. Which that is, is. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want. Like, how do you, I mean, like, when it comes down to it, if we're going to face off against anything, it's death. I mean, like, yeah. th- that is the primordial human question mm-hmm. that we are all faced with, you know, and not even taxes. Ta- I mean, you can, ev- you can evade taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really are serious <laughs> about it, but nobody evades death. No. You know, and. N- no. Everyone lives, but not everyone truly dies. Thank you, William Wallace. Oh, yeah. Hold on. I think I messed that, <laughs> that quote up. Wait, no, yeah, 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 you did. I, I, you got me. Yeah. That's like, but that, that's the thing that's beautiful is that like, I think that there's there's a sense that Psalm 23, I mean, we we always get to sit funerals. Mm. We have this moment that there's the Lord is my shepherd. He, he is doing good things for me. I know that I'm going to be provided for. I know that I'm going to be sought out and that I'm going to be cared for and loved. And and even though I walk through the dark valley, I fear no evil. They don't, we don't get that in this particular in one. This one. So I have a little bit of a I have a little bit of a bone to pick with this psalm. Not with the psalm. With the understanding of the psalm? Not with the, even with the under, Yeah, nobody mis- I, I don't think anyone misunderstands it, but I know it's read at funerals all the time. And, th- and that's very beautiful, and it's very good. And I think there's something very good about that. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. Beside restful waters, he leads me. He refreshes my soul. I mean, I think part of the reason 
it's right at funerals is that this is a, a, a eschatological way of looking ahead toward um, the glory of heaven and right. the peacefulness when we will finally have rest. But I think that's to to not do it its full justice. Yeah, that's a part of it. But if you read it in conjunction with the first reading, the Lord is coming to be our shepherd now. It's not a metaphor. He really did come. He took on flesh and blood. He became our high priest. He became our king. I mean, that's what the shepherds were, right? There were priests and kings, and there were people who went and cared for the people. He, he did that. The only reason you're a shepherd to St. Thomas Aquinas Parish is because Jesus is the true shepherd and you are united to him. But all of that is to imply a very here and now reality. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want now. Right. Because now he's with me. Uh, he, he In verdant pastures, he gives me repose now. Even though there's chaos all around me, even though there's war and bloodshed and violence everywhere else, I'm actually following my shepherd through the dark valley and I'm being protected from those things. Even though I, I will face them and experience these things from time to time, he's still going to guide me in right paths for his name's sake. But it's... It's not just a psalm that's kind of high in the sky and maybe someday we'll have peace. Someday he'll guide us to restful places. No, he's actually wanting to do all of those things in the midst of the chaotic world. Yeah. He is shepherd now. Does that make sense? Sometimes I think we, we want to over um, overemphasize the, the after death part of this. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I'm... What I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just. <laughs> I just. I just. I'm feeling. A, I'm feeling a little wily today. You are today. a little ornery. I'm. I'm ornery. So. Is it ornery or ornery? Ornery. Ennui. Ennui. That's a French. Ennui. French guy. All right. First Corinthians. Speaking of dying. So we saying, brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the, de- of the dead came also through one man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought back to life, but each in proper season. Christ is the first fruits. Why? Because he's the shepherd. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ when he comes in the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God, to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every earth authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemies to be destroyed is death. And it goes on, but what I'm what I'm struck by as I'm reading this, because again, the church is asking us to see these things together. And what the church gave us in the first reading, yes, we're talking about the crucifixion. I think there is a connection point there. Yeah, because I because I I'm thinking a lot about like what is the role of government? Mm. I mean, like the, the uh, like on a philosophical level, a, a government has a couple of responsibilities to its people. The first one is we actually need a governmental body to be able to protect the citizens of a nation. Right. You, that's actually the proper ordering of things is that a government would provide protection. Yes. And then the other one is to provide resources interiorly. What does it, what does it give? How do, how do the, the, the members of a nation state actually receive what is proper and, and right for them? Mm. How, how, so, so this is the thing is that the government's responsible for justice. It's yeah. getting what is due to the people that are in the midst of it. Now we have personal responsibility for justice as well. I mean, Obviously. there's, there's a principle of subsidiarity is right. uh, you handle the justices on the level that you, sh- you should. Right. But 
a huge obligation is the protection of the nation of the, of the people within mm-hmm. its borders. And so what we're seeing is that Jesus on, on the feast of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, we're looking and we're saying, what is the true enemy here? Mm-hmm. Now, we're moving from the the kind of proximate and right. and kind of subsidiarity from this this kind of uh, expression of the immediate enemies. It's like we have got to get Israel right. If yes. we don't get if we don't get what we're doing right here, then we can't actually provide the resources for the people who are meant to be called and gathered into Israel. Right. And then the second thing is, is that so, so it's it's to say, okay, we've got to make the, the the what is really just and beautiful and right to give to the people who are members of this of of this people. Right. The second one is to defeat the enemy, and and the the, ul, the, actu- the, the ultimate the enemy. actual ultimate real enemy. And so what we're seeing is on Jesus Christ the King, we're moving from the the proximate to the more universal. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so that's so that's how I'm that's how I'm reading this, and I'm yeah. seeing that, you know, uh, and then the last enemy to just be destroyed is death, because he says he's gonna uh, he's gonna destroy every sovereignty, everybody who thinks that they can function without God, mm. which is just it just doesn't work. Right. I mean, like it's intrinsic to it. You move yourself away from God, and it's and there's destruction. You may be able to flower for a little while, but it's gonna still destroy itself. And then when everything is subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who has subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. And we end up in this Trinitarian mm. moment of profound beauty. Yes. Yeah. Which, is, which, is what the, which is what the ultimate justice of God is moving us towards is this inclusion into the Trinitarian life. But, the way, but, but God is taking responsibility in his lordship and his sovereignty to remove those barriers that prevent us from being able to actually to engage. Say that last part one more time. God and his sovereignty is removing the barriers that would prevent us to be able to, (laughs) excuse me, truly engage with uh, his plan of salvation, his plan for the the nation of Israel. I.e. death. Yes. And all of death's subsidiarities. And and it's tributaries. Tributaries. Ooh, that's very good. But it's also a good reminder, you know, again, Paul, Paul, you know, the first reading is speaking in the time of the Babylonians. Paul, the second reading is speaking in time of the Romans. What it's ultimately saying is, yeah, you have you have some enemies that you're dealing with. There's Rome, there's Babylon, there's the high priests that have gone off the wagon. You know, there's all these people, but ultimately, the enemy is death. It's the evil one himself who has actually become. I mean, really, if you read between the lines, what he's saying is, the evil one has become your shepherd, mm. or the evil one has sort of taken up the role of shepherd, false mm. shepherd, makes mm. you think of the shepherd. And the ultimate solution is never going to be an earthly shepherd. It's going to be the triune God. Yes, dude. Wow. I was, um, I was, um, I was. Uh, I'm really obsessed right now. By the way, with um, the Antikythera mechanism, um, which is uh, purported, purported to be a the the world's first computer. Okay. And what it does is it takes up Babylonian cosmology. And accurately predicts in a geocentric way the retrograde motion of the five visible planets, oh. the phases of the moon in in 19-year cycles. I mean, like it's it's mathematically absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, it's cool. it's it's actually basic, but it's a it's a computational geared mechanism that allows specifically too for the prediction of eclipses. 
and 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 of course i'm i'm listening to the podcast today um in my in my own heart from this view of why would anybody want to predict an eclipse uh because i don't know well i i mean, I mean I can... just from what we hear today you, you we have a prophetic action that god is going to come and provide for his people on the day of darkness yeah that okay. he's going to shepherd them on the day of darkness. I don't know. It's just yeah. it's just one of those things to where like I, oh, I, I'm, I'm I, trying I, to I, understand. I'm there now. I think I'm there. I mean, eclipses are cool and they're kind of freaky. Like they're 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 an eerily wonderful and strange thing. But yes. they're but then I'm just trying to understand why somebody would want to understand that. But I think that that's actually really part of this. I think that, that, that it feeds in that, yeah, that even yeah. in the Babylonian existence in their interactions with Israel may have actually taken up a, an idea of a prophetic experience taking up, being taken up in the midst of an eclipse. Well, and not to mention, I mean, what, where do, um, I think it's related, the wise men, right? The, the Magi are probably coming from Babylon, right? They're coming from Iraq. So, I mean, all of this does coalesce in these kind of interesting ways, right? God's, it's just this reminder that God's ways are are far beyond ours. Which leads leads us into Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. The goats and the sheep. Dude, goat goat eyes still freak me out, dude. Goat eyes? Do you come into contact with goat eyes a lot? Dude, I mean, when was the last time you saw a goat? I I, I don't know. (laughs) Dude... (laughs) They they have these weird they have a, they don't have round retinas they've got slit retinas really yeah so that so that they 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 look like um uh, evil okay P- pure unadulterated evil oh uh, okay so you're getting mean with goats here okay I gotta say and I hate manchego cheese is that from goats goat yes. cheese I like goat cheese okay here's the thing I, I um, all right goats are creepy looking I'll concede you that right. You don't make that face. I'm conceding your point. Goats are creepy. Here's the thing, though. Yeah, no, I <laughs> just showed me a close-up of a goat eye. That's horrible. Dude, the, I mean, uh, okay. look at that eye. It, does, does that inspire, no, like, dude, love? you're oversimplifying this. You, you, this is a chicken or the egg thing. I think the reason that we think goats are creepy is partially because of the lore that is developed around this passage. <laughs> he just looks... <laughs> Just lost. He just looks like a lost soul. Come on, fainting. You're goats. just finding the worst pictures of goats. Goats are okay. Those are creepy eyes. Come on, man. Dude, I mean, this is the power of the iPhone, ladies and gentlemen, right here. The iPhone. Get it? Because uh, you're showing me pictures of eyes. Uh, here's what I know. In the ancient world, sheep's and goats. Sheep and goats. Sheep is sheep plural. As sheep. Sheep and goats were seen as economically pretty much equal. Okay. So there's not more value to it. It's not like a flock of sheep are way better or more valuable than a flock of goats. Stop showing me. <laughs> <laughs> they're, just, they're just, they're equal. So, okay. If you're, so here's what I contend to you. Okay. You stop looking at pictures of goats. <laughs> I contend that to an ancient listener, people are hearing about flocks and sheep and goats. There is no semblance that before Jesus says what he's about to say, there is no sense that one is better than the other. One is sort of sinister and one is more pure. Sheep and goats are simply commerce. They're animals. They have the same sort of cultural and, and economic value in the world. They're sheep and they're goats. They're usually flocked together. They're shepherded together. There's interaction between flocks. And it, it's it's not... Does that make sense? There, there's no... At face value, there's no um, self-evident... Dis- disparity, disparity or discrepancy between sheep and goats. 
They're just two flocks, both so, equal. So basically, this is this is. I think that Jesus had it in for the goat economy. That was actually <laughs> this is this is a part of the early church that they really had. You know, they had it in for the goat herders. Scholars don't know why Jesus chose to make that distinction. Scholars just don't know because there's nothing intrinsic about sheep being better than goats or goats being worse or more sinister than sheep. Now, if it was dogs and cats or something, like I can definitely see the cats having the shifty eyes. You want to talk about shifty animals. Yeah. Goats are just dumb. They just wander around and eat stuff. And then they fall over if they get scared. Yeah, I mean, which is kind of the same as sheep. They just kind of wander around and eat stuff. Anyway, okay, all of that is to say, the reason I think that's important, it sounds like I'm belaboring a silly point. You are well. I the mean, reason I'm belaboring I, is partially because you and my and your ways. But the other thing is that I don't think I think part of what he's trying to get at because it's tempting to go about in the world and be like, and this is what you see the Pharisees doing this. You see people in the Bible doing this all the time. You see, I do. We all do this. We want to look in the world and find the distinguishing characteristics of the evil people, those people over there who are bad, those people over there who deserve judgment. And I think part of the the brilliance of this, I don't know if it's a parable exactly, I guess it is a parable, is showing that you don't know where the evil and where the good are. Some people who look good actually have grave evil inside of them. And some people who look like the worst people in the world are some of the most profound saints. And that's, I think, there's built-in confusion here. Wait, they're just sheep and goats. Yeah, but it's they're mixed together. And it's the whole idea that good and evil is mixed together in all of us. And we have to choose. We have to use our will and the grace that's given us to choose between the two and to work through them. But there's nothing about, oh, your guys are obviously goats, therefore you're shifty-eyed and kind of bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and even look at Jesus' group of disciples who are following him. We have tax collectors. We have Pharisees. We have former prostitutes. We have all the people that everybody wants to look at and be like, oh, yeah, you guys are the goats. You guys are the ones who deserve judgment. And then you have the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the cream of the crop, who are actually the ones who oftentimes deserve judgment. So there's a built-in um, aspect to this parable where, yeah, it's not self-evident who the good ones and who the bad ones are. And so Jesus gives this parable. He's like, he's going to come. I'm going to come. And again, we're, we're, we're at the end of what's called the eschatological discourse. So Jesus is talking about essentially the end times, when I come. Partially about when he comes into his glory, which is when he's going to be taken up to his cross and enthroned. But also with connotations of when I come again. In, in the end, as ultimate shepherd that will be recognizable and I'll separate, you know, the sheep uh, from the goats. But what he says is he goes to the sheep and he says, you guys, you're going to come and be blessed with my father. Why? Because when you saw me naked, you clothed me. When you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you saw me, you know, needing drink, you gave me to drink. And they're like, we didn't know we were doing any of that. And he's like, well, you did it. <laughs> so well done. And then he says to the goats, quote unquote, the goats. You know, you saw me naked and you didn't clothe me. You saw me hungry and you didn't feed me. You saw me, you know, thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. And this, I think this is one of the most spiritually, an Orthodox priest pointed this out once. And I've always been so taken and struck by this. And they basically say, what? We had no idea. When did we see any of this? We didn't know that. And they're cast off into hell. And of course, you know, one of the deductions you can make from that is if you don't take care of the poor, there's going to be pretty big time judgment. Because he's saying, you didn't care for the poor. I am embodied in them. You didn't care for them. You didn't care for me. Therefore, you're going to receive eternal punishment. But there's another way to look at this as well. And what this Orthodox priest pointed out is, what if these goats in this day of judgment had said, 
We didn't realize, Jesus. We're sorry. Have mercy on us, O king of the universe. What do you think would have happened? I, I don't know. I don't know the end of that story. R- but rather, th- rather than just being filled with pride and being like, how, how could we have known? Well, just you know like they, excuse. And... Well, who do they sound like? Because I hear, I hear a very specific echo of the Old Testament here. And to me, they sounded an awful lot like Adam and Eve. Mm. When they fell to sin and God says, what have you done? You ate the fruit that I asked you not to eat. And, and I was like, well, she made me do it. Blame game. Really, you gave me the woman and she gave me the fruit. Uh, and I, I'm always fascinated by the question. I don't know the answer to it. When God comes seeking after Adam and Eve, I mean, the scriptures are clear. The God who's seeking Adam and Eve is not God who's ticked off because you messed up, but it's God who's seeking them, who wants his children back. And I just wonder, what if Adam and Eve had said, Lord, have mercy on us. We're sorry. We did what you asked us not to do. Have mercy on us. What would have happened in the story of salvation? Yeah. I have no idea the answer to that. I don't either. But it reminds me an awful lot of these goats saying, we didn't know. It's not our fault. What are you talking about? Really, it's your fault because you hid yourself. You should have shown yourself better, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But it does raise this interesting spiritual question. When we're caught, and it, it had to do with this talk I was listening to about this, asking whether or not, it was this Orthodox priest asking this Catholic apologist who's well known, are you at this moment assured of your salvation? And the Catholic apologist said in this talk I was listening to, He said, well, you know, I've been to confession recently. I'm not conscious of any serious sin. So, yeah, you know, in that sense, you can't be sure of our salvation, but I've been to confession. I'm not conscious of serious sin. And then this person pointed out this passage. He's like, well, what about these guys? They didn't realize. They were in serious sin and seemingly don't realize that they are. What does that say about our own spiritual lives? What does it say about the fact that when judgment day comes, when the Lord approaches me, when the king of the universe, the good shepherd comes face to face with me, how much am I going to be hung up on what I think I've done right? No, I did everything I was supposed to do. What happens when it's pointed out to me? Oh, you know what? You did this thing to that one person. You didn't even realize what you were doing. And look at the terrible effect it had on them. Or look at the way you treated that person. You didn't even realize you were doing it. But but look at how you hurt those people or did that thing. Will my response be, it's not my fault. I didn't, you know, I mean, this is what I want to do. I know myself well enough to know how defensive I get. Mm-hmm. Or will I have the docility to be like, oh, Lord. I'm sorry, have mercy on me, which is ultimately what the Lord, the king of the universe is all about. Looking at his children who are broken, who are selfish, sheep who want to go their own way and wanting to tenderly and gently pull them back together. But to be pulled back together, the sheep have to have a certain amount of humility of Mm. saying, I will let myself be guided because I don't know the right way. And I'm going to wander off into danger and get eaten by a wolf if I'm left to my own devices. So I'm going to say, I don't necessarily get it. I don't understand the way that I'm supposed to go. So Jesus, please guide me. Mm. That's, I think, what's it, at least for me, reading this in my own spiritual life, that's what I'm taking from this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I feel that's that's right. It's the... It's that the the other part that's that's moving me is saying I mean it tags in am I participating in the mission of God which is removing the boundaries to mm. people who want to experience his love and his grace mm. um cuz cuz like the, like being naked and hungry and alone and tired and you know like when did we see you all of these things lord um 
is is saying like it's an intrinsic turn to self. Hmm. It's just being self-consumed. It's like when did I see this? I didn't know. Yeah, like with you, you were seeing it way more, but you weren't trying. You weren't even looking. Like, yeah. like there, there's, there's something to say. Like, you know, Catechism fifteen thirty four. Like, we're we, Boom. you know, it's like marriage and holy orders. These are two vocations that are oriented uh, towards yes. the salvation of others, and if they affect personal holiness, it is because they are at first at a service of others. Yeah. You, you pointed that one out to me, and then yeah, I, it changed my life. That passage. Yeah, and and that's where that's where it's like that. That's the the process of going towards the king is saying like mm. dude we're not just ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country like it's a it, great new england accent there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you totally nailed it yeah but that that's what we're that's what we're on about is, yeah. is saying like we're not about us i mean in as much as we must have self-care otherwise we, we will not be available and able to be able to be present to even see, and that's that's where I think that we need to be able to have our eyes opened, and we're not like goat eyes, just all <sighs> creepy weird, goat eyes. Creepy goat eyes, man. Yeah. We have to have sheep eyes. Yes. Which that's, <laughs> that's totally that's its own brand. That's of its that's yeah. just strange, dude. <laughs> I just imagined like Lambert the sheepish lion looking at me. Oh, Lambert, you love Lambert. Lambert the sheepish lion. Yeah, I don't even know what else to say other than. <laughs> Um, God is a really good governor. He is. Yeah, he's he is. a good king. Yes. He he's a good constable. <laughs> yes. I always like it when they say constable. With his little the, baton and, and, and his tall hat. <laughs> <laughs> and his monocle. Oh, dude. Love you guys. Keep the funk alive. See you then. Bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.